and Carl's excellent podcast show. Hello, Carlos. Hiya, Rob. It's time to start relaxing. I hope we get this right. It's time to listen to our excellent show tonight. It's time for my new stories and my wild style of phone. It's time to laugh and laugh together or alone. I'll be a record breaker. I'll review all of my songs. Can I get original or cover? Other interesting segments. Now let's get this started. I think my doctor's farted. It's time to get this started on the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, innovational. This is our excellent podcast show.
Chinese streaming giant Tencent has reinstated the original ending of a Hollywood movie after a scented version last month sparked backlash. The original ending to the 1990 film Fight Club starring Brad Pitt shows scenes of explosions and relentless fighting, but China's version simply showed a message on screen saying the authorities won and saved the day. You may remember this story from the last show. <laughs> so the cult classic, directed by David Fincher, stars Edward Norton as a narrator and Brad Pitt as his imaginary alter ego, Tyler Durden. The film's original finale shows Norton's character killing his alter ego before bombs destroy buildings and a subversive plot to reorder society. China's version of the film, which was only released last month, cut all of those scenes and instead explained that the police foiled the plot, arrested the criminals and sent Durden to a lunatic asylum. Through the clue provided by Tyler, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested all criminals, successfully preventing the bomb from exploding, it said. The censored ending was ridiculed online and criticized by both human rights groups and Chinese viewers who had previously seen pirated version of the original. It is not uncommon for Chinese broadcasters to censor anything that may be deemed politically or culturally sensitive. Last year's Friends, the reunion special, saw several cuts being made by Chinese censors, including scenes with Lady Gaga. The pop star's repertoire was banned from mainland China after she met with the Dalai Lama in June who is considered a separatist by Chinese authorities. However, it is less common for them to change an ending and rarer still to see those cuts reversed. So there you go. So now the wonderful people can see the following, the, 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 the proper ending of Fight Club. I would like to see that movie again. Mm. It's been a while. It's been a very long you've while, seen yeah. Yes, yeah, 1999. Uh, probably saw it in 99, 2000. Sometime then, mm. but never seen it. Never seen it since. Um, yeah, because of course, very clever um, movie. Very clever with uh, lots yeah. of twists and turns. Oh, absolutely! And also, Meatloaf was in it. We um, we did mention it in the last show, but we had a technical hitch, and which ended, uh, which meant we lost <laughs> a little bit of the show. Uh, we are we are going to talk about some of those bits, but definitely not Meatloaf, because I think we both agreed that. Um, he was good in Fight Club, and I think that's about it. We're not big fans and of his music. Wayne's World, he was he was good in, but that's about it. Exactly, exactly. So yes, R.I.P. Meatloaf. We shall we shall see. Because um, unfortunately, because how old was he when he died? Was he somewhere like in he his seventies? Seventy-four, I believe. Seventy-four. I was mm. hoping he was going to be seventy-two because that's a reversal of 27 oh. and I'd like to talk to you about the 27 club which we did mention in our last show. Yeah we've, we've touched on this I think a couple of times but only very briefly haven't we or very specifically in relation to other uh, people or, or events. So what, is, what do you what do you see the 27 club as then Carl before I talk at length about something I've ripped off of Wikipedia? <laughs> well my understanding of the 27 club is where I suppose celebrities or, or I use the term artists as in musicians or actors. Yes, yeah, steady, because Jay Goody died when she was 27. Right, okay, okay. I did say <laughs> celebrities. Um, people within the public eye, shall we say, have unfortunately passed away at the age of, of 27. And it seems to be a bit of a, a cursed age. 
Well, this is it. So we, we've, we've basically been um, reiterating what is known as an urban legend. So if you sit comfortably, Carl, I will explain to you all about the 27 Club. So the 27 Club is an urban legend that popular musicians, artists and actors die at the age of 27 with statistically anomalous sorry, whatever, frequency. Although the claim of a statistical spike for the death of musicians at the age has been repeatedly disproven by research, it remains a cultural phenomenon documenting the deaths of celebrities, many noted for their high-risk lifestyles. So the 27 Club includes popular musicians, artists, actors and athletes who died at age 27, often as a result of drug and alcohol abuse or violent means such as homicide, suicide or transportation related accidents. The club has been repeatedly cited in music magazines, journals and the daily press. Several exhibitions have been devoted to the idea as well as novels, films and stage plays. The deaths of several 27-year-old popular musicians between 1969 and 1971 led to the belief that deaths are more common at this age. Music biographer Charles R. Cross wrote, The number of musicians who died at 27 is truly remarkable by any standard. Although humans die regularly at all ages, there is a statistical spike for musicians who die at 27. There have been many more theories that, and speculations about the causes of such early deaths and their possible connections, but statistically, studies have failed to find any unusual pattern of musicians' deaths at this age, comparing it equally small increases at ages 25 and 32. A 2011 BMJ study noted that young adult musicians have a higher death rate than the general young adult population, concluding fame may increase the risk of death among musicians, but this, this risk is not limited to age 27. Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison all died at the age of 27 between 1969 and 1971. At the time, the coincidence gave rise to the same to some comment, but it was not until Kurt Cobain's 1994 death, aged 27, that the idea of a 27 club began to catch on in public perception. Blues musician Robert Johnson, who died in 1938, is the earliest popular musician who has been included in the members of the 27 Club. According to Hendrix and Cobain's biographer Charles R. Cross, the growing importance of the media, internet, magazines and television, and the response to an interview of Cobain's mother were jointly responsible for such theories. An excerpt from the statement that Cobain's mother, Wendy Frandenberg Cobain O'Connor, one hell of a scrabble score that surname uh, is, <laughs> made in the Aberdeen Washington newspaper, The Daily World. Now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join that stupid club, referring to Hendrix, Joplin and Morrison dying at the same age, according to Cross. Other authors share his view. And on the other hand, Eric Sagelstad, the writer of The 27's The Greatest Myth of Rock and Roll, assumed that Cobain's mother referred to the death of two uncles and a great uncle, all of whom had committed suicide. According to Cross, these events have led to such conspiracy theories that suggest the absurd notion that Kurt Cobain intentionally timed his death so he could be in the 27 Club. In 2011, 17 years after Cobain's death, Amy Winehouse died at the age of 27, prompting a renewed swell of media attention devoted to the club once again. 
Three years earlier, she had expressed a fear of dying at that age. An individual does not necessarily have to be a musician to qualify as a member of the 27 Club. Rolling Stones included television actor Jonathan Brandis, don't know who he is, who committed suicide in 2003, and a list of members in the 27 Club, Anton Yeltsin, who played in a punk rock band that was primarily known as a film actor, was also described as a member of the club upon his death in 2026. So anyway, a study published in the British Medical, Journal, British Medical Journal in December 2011 concluded that there are no increases in the risk of death for musicians at the age of 27, although the sampled musicians faced an increased risk of death in their 20s and 30s, this was not limited to the age of 27. A 2015 article in The Independent also provided statistical evidence that operating musicians are not more likely to die at the age of 27. Interesting. Yeah. So, obviously there are, there is evidence there of, of to a certain degree, but I suppose it's like anything where you pick and choose the information and, and, and the data. Statistics is obviously very good at that. You can manipulate that information to put across whatever you you want to or to prove whichever theory that um, you're trying to, to get across. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because I was thinking like um, River Phoenix. Mm -hmm. How old was he when he when he died? Again, he was he's one that um he's I, 23. I kind, of, kind of thought as of the 27 club and Heath Ledger as well. Oh yeah, he's a little bit later. Because there's another club, because there's the 27 club, but then there's also the 33 club as well, which has been mentioned, because that's when Mozart died. I think John Belushi, oh, there was, I did have a Google of it, but then that started coming up with it, like David Qureshi. Can you remember him? I recognize the name, but can't quite place. Oh, it was, was in the nine. I think it was 1991, 1992. I think he believed that he was the son of God. Um, or something like that, and he held himself in the Waco, Waco in Texas. Mm -hmm. He had all his followers with him, and then they basically yes. stormed the building yeah, and yeah, yeah. Shot, shot him dead, and he dead, He was deaded. Yeah, he was on the list. I thought, oh, okay, I'm not going to read any more of this. <laughs> he, was, he was 33. Um, but no, it's, it, is, it is interesting, where obviously where they said, you know, because obviously you had Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, um, Brian Jones, Jim Morrison, and it must have been a shame, you know, at that particular time, because I remember when Amy Winehouse died in 2011. Mm. I, I think it was, I was the 23rd of July or something. I think it was a Saturday, I call it a Sunday. I'd fallen asleep on the sofa and I woke up and I was like, I just put the news on and it was like, hang on, this is a bit weird. It's almost like when Michael Jackson, when he, when he was dying, yeah. he was dead. Like, I think the TV, it was, I think it was half past 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I was getting ready for bed and it was like, you know, there's this, with that Michael Jackson's yeah. dead. Yeah, stuff, that was. But. I do remember that being reported quite late. I think I was. I don't think I know. I was. Um, I, was I was in a hotel. I was going to, uh, to to a wedding, and it was one of those really bizarre things. You know, when you're drifting in and out of sleep, you can't mm. quite make out what you're dreaming and what's real. And, and I remember that story coming on the TV. I think we had the news channel on in the hotel room, and it's kind of. Yeah, just a really bizarre experience of, was, was that real? Did I dream that? And obviously then realising that, yeah, he passed away. And it's very weird, isn't it? Because you think, I don't know, it's, it's weird because it must be a lifestyle thing. But then, 
I don't know, it's, you have to be a certain, uh, not a disposition, but there needs to be a certain need within somebody to stand up and try to get this adoration from a bunch of strangers for, for validation. And mm. when you look at the kind of Amy Winehouse example, her parents divorcing when she was younger, and yeah, how did that affect her in terms of, you know, her parents being there for her, perhaps? I don't know how, if that was you know, if that gave rise to it and stuff. But Kurt Cobain, he was obviously, um, his parents divorced when he was young and it was probably, you know, ignored that, that, uh, from, from, mm -hmm. from an early age. And it's just like, does that thing contribute? And then if you're in this studio and you're recording and you record and you record these songs and then you go out and you're playing the same things over and over again, there's got to be an element of tedium between going to gigs and so you think, yeah. I'll have a drink, I'll do some drugs just to get, get through it. And of course, everyone's going to, but want to provide you with all these things and no one's going to turn around and say no to you, you know? So it's it's a very kind of precarious kind of lifestyle, isn't it? And the music mm -hmm. business, you know, it, it, it seems like it's not a very nice business to get into, apparently, according to the Stone Roses. But uh, once no, you're there and you're I making a lot of money. I think it's one of those very, um, on the outside, it looks very appealing, doesn't it? All the, all the all the the fame, the attention, the the glory, but mm. there's all the, the that darker side, the actual hard work that goes into that, and I might say, yeah, there, there's I wouldn't want to say sinister, but there's yeah, it's just a darker side, isn't there? And uh, I, I, I think you've you've as, as as an artist to a certain level, you end up becoming a, a product, don't you, for the for the record company as opposed to being an artist to a certain degree, I think. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So anyway, well, that, that's the 27 Club, or not, as the case may mm. be.
A robot vacuum cleaner made a break for freedom after giving staff the slip at a travel lodge hotel. The automated cleaner failed to stop at the front door of the hotel in Orchard Park in Cambridge about a month ago and was still on the loose the following day. Staff said it, was ju it just kept going and could be anywhere, whilst well wishes on social media hoped the vacuum enjoyed its travels as it had no natural predators in the wild. It was found under a hedge on Friday. Staff at the hotel posted the story of the va robot vacuum's great escape on social media, asking for it to be returned if found. Today, we had one of our new robot vacuums run for its life, the assistant manager wrote. They normally sense the lip of the entrance to the hotel and turn around, but this one decided to make a run for it. Its disappearance was not noticed for about 15 minutes, and despite a search, it appeared the vacuum had made a clean break for it. Uh-huh. The assistant manager assumed it might be found, might have been found and taken, and pointed out it was only compatible with a docking and charging station at the hotel, so it was useless to anyone else. With some reader joking about the robot's adventures, one feared for its safety in the great outdoors, pointing out that nature abhors a vacuum. However, much to everyone's relief, the device was found nestled under a hedge on Friday afternoon by a human hotel cleaner sprucing up the front drive. It was dusted off and is now back sitting happily on a shelf with the rest of the robot vacuum family, the hotel manager said. <laughs> what a great story. It's almost like something out of um, a, a short circuit. movie. Short circuit, yeah, Johnny Five. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I couldn't understand is they said they couldn't find it, but wouldn't it have just left a clean path mm. and you just followed that? It'd be it's an like... easy trail, yeah. Exactly. Bit of a giveaway. <laughs> yeah. Never mind, not to worry. So, um, what time? What what time is it now? Do you remember Blankety Blank? Yesterday, yes. yes Terry yes. Wogan. Yeah. Uh, he he was the one I remember. Les Dawson, I think. Les Dawson took over. He was on it. Mm -hmm. He was on it for a while, and then I think he then died of a heart attack or something. Mm -hmm. And then I remember Terry Wogan and Kenny Everett yes. one time, like bending his very long, thin microphone with that That's thing on right. the end. Yeah, one of those iconic, iconic. Uh, yeah. Yes. Or Emu. Rod Hull and Emu. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. uh, you had the celebrity guests, didn't you? Six six celebrity guests and a couple of contestants. Lionel Blair. And, those and, kind um, of things. Mm, it, it, it was. I remember watching it as well. Always a very sort of funny, entertaining. Show and it's, it's all. I think it's now. Kind of isn't it? Is it on It is. Yeah. It, it, it. Obviously, like you said, Terry Wogan started off in 1979, and then Les Dawson took over in '84, and that was all on all on ITV. And then and then it's had a couple of kind of. So who was after Les Dawson? I thought it was I thought it was Les Dawson first, then Terry Wogan. No, no. Les Dawson did it from '84 to 1990, so quite quite a while. Wow. And Paul O'Grady or Lily Savage, um, oh, I, I think he, I think God. he's done it as as both. And then David Williams did a one-off. I think it might have been a Christmas special in, in 2016. I'm but glad it, I is, missed it, is, it is still still going. Bradley Walsh is the current host of Blankety Blank, and that's been going for for a couple of years. It's on apparently it's on BBC. Mm. I must confess, I've not seen it. With I've not uh, seen it since 1990. No, no, snap. Or before then. But we don't need to worry about watching it because we're going to do our own. So oh, better, oh. better than the BBC. <laughs> we'll give and it a go. And it doesn't cost anyway. you anything. No, no, no license no. fee. I, I, I was very lucky in getting a uh, a blankety blank 
game for Christmas. So thanks, who, sister. Who, who, who got you that? It was my sister. It was my sister. Oh, that's why you said you were very lucky. And it's um, it basically consists there's a there's a like a tin, and then some little um, cards you can write write down on, and there's a book with all these um, blankety blank lines in. Which is which is what we're going to use. So so how, so so how does the show work? Say for our international listeners who have oh. no intention of watching. So the, the, the show would work in that the host would read out a line of something, and you'd have to fill in the blank. And it's often left that it could be um, a little bit, uh, I suppose, sort of ambiguous in terms of what you would say. There's there's a kind of a you know. Uh, Sometimes a little bit of a, a smutty element to it, a comedic. So there was two. It. So hang on, there's two guests two on the show. Yep. Two contestants, yeah. Two contestants, right? Six and then about panels. Six, six celebrities. Yes. And so what happens? So the the host would read out this card and That's say right. blank and blank. Yeah. And so then the two contestants had to write, or but they did one at a no, time. They, or no, the, the the celebrity guests had to write their answer down. And, and then, then it was the, if they matched up with any of the celebrities when they turned theirs yep. over. Yeah, they had to. The, the, the contestants had Triangles to their and answer, circles. and any of the celebrities that got it right, they kind of scored a scored a point. And then there's various rounds and obviously prizes to be won. That was the blankety blank checkbook and pen, wasn't it? All right. So what do we win? What do we win this time then? Just just the oh, pen. So it's, it's just the glory. Just the glory. I say. I was going to say. So, do they do um, checkbooks anyway? I don't have a checkbook. <laughs> so no, they're long gone, aren't they? So what we're going to do? I've, I've got I've got ten, ten blankety blank lines here. Yeah. All right. Let's so, go for it. Uh, ten. What, what so you're going to read gonna, them out. And read, I'll, read them out. Read them out, and then and then we're both going to write down our answers. And, then and you can join in as well, we'll listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And see then, if you and we'll see, see if you match up with any of us. <laughs> and then we will see how many we can we can guess, and, and they're the same. All right. Hang on. Let's just give our listeners uh, about thirty seconds to find themselves a pen. And or a bit could, of paper. Or, or, or they could just pause the show. I could pause the show. I was going to put some interesting <laughs> music. I was going to put my lift music in. I like got my lift music in. Them. Put your lift music in. 20 seconds of lift, lift, lift music. Find yourself a pen and a piece of paper. And let's play. Or alternately, or alternately you could just bring up notes on your phone, I guess. <laughs> the music again. So the first right one then. is, the Earl had so many visitors to his back door last year that the knob started to blank. First thing that comes into your head. Yeah, okay. Next one. Vera searched the whole office for her boss's dongle. Eventually, it turned up in the blank. Number three, Daisy partied so hard at the festival, she lost her tent and fell asleep in a blank. Number four, after dinner, the Duchess cut the cheese, but instead of using a knife, she used a blank. Got it. Right, number five, I went around and around on the fair carousel so many times, I was sick all over the blank. Yeah, number six. Number six, the policeman said that he was pleased to see me, 
but uh, I could see a blank in his pocket. Number seven, yeah. my granny's my granny's eyes uh, my granny's eyesight is fading. Now when she puts lipstick on, it ends up on her blank. Number nine, the vet worried she was working no, too number much. Number eight. What? Number eight. Oh, number eight. I apologise. Maybe <laughs> number eight. That's yeah, not just your grandma's eyesight going. <laughs> When my friend played a donkey in the nativity, everyone said he acted like a total blank. Easy, easy. Number, Number nine. nine. Yes, Number the vet nine. worried she was working too much. Not least because she'd started to sound like a blank. And number 10, the tennis ace had reached breaking point. She had hoped to smash the game, but instead she smashed the blank. Okie dokie. Right, here we go. So I'll, I'll read them again and then we can we can Give we'll see if, so the, the idea is that we've got the same ones. That's right, yes. And that's what oh, we're hang on. Um, I, I, you're the celebrity, obviously, because you starred in the film Eyes Wide Shut. Oh. And I will be the contestant Good because contestant. I've, got no, I've got nothing better to do than to apply <laughs> to go on uh, TV shows. Right, here we go then. Number one. The Earl had so many visitors to his back door last year that his knob started to... Weep. Oh, I put stick. Oh, no points no. there. Next one. Vera searched the whole office for her uh, boss's dongle. Eventually, it turned up in the kitchen. Kitchen. I put stationary cupboard. <sighs> We're not good at this, are we? No. All right, number three. Number three. We're just getting warmed up. That's what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Daisy, number three. Daisy parted so hard at the festival she lost her tent and fell asleep in a. Cow. <laughs> I put weedy bin. <laughs> oh, okay. Number four. After dinner, the Duchess cut the cheese, but instead of using a knife, she used a... Peasant. Sword. I, I do like peasant, though. <laughs> what does that taste like? <laughs> Dirty. It's a bit like chicken. Uh, number five, I went round and round on the fair carousel so many times I was sick all over the... Baby. I put ride operator. I number think this six. one we're going to get. Yeah, if we don't get this one, there's definitely something wrong. The policeman <laughs> said he was pleased to see me, but I could see a... in his pocket. Truncheon. 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 Yes. There we go, that's one point. We need, we, need, we need a great big cheer and, and applause for that, I think. Stick in the sound effect. Yeah. Right, seven. My granny's eyesight is fading. Now when she puts lipstick on, it ends up on her... Belly button. Oh, I put chin. I do like belly button. Uh, <laughs> um. Oh, this one might be... This, this one, one we, might, be. we might get, yes. When my friend played a donkey in the nativity, everyone said he acted like a total... Ass. Yes. There we go. Another... Number nine, the vet worried she was working too much, not least because she started to sound like a... Prick. Dog. Oh. <laughs> Last one, the tennis, yes. ace, the tennis ace had reached breaking point. She had hoped to smash the game, but instead she smashed the... Bar. I put racket. Oh. So... Okay. That's the end, two out of ten. End, end, end of the ten blankety blanks, we've got a grand total of two. 
Well, that's so, a world. That's a record, though, isn't it? That's that's our. That's a personal best for us. Yeah. Oh, and well, it'll be interesting to know if any of our listeners manage to get the same. Get more than more than two. Nice. They've got they've got double the chances, haven't they? Because they've got both of our answers to uh, compare to. Exactly. Indeed. Indeed. Why? Excellent stuff. So. I've not, I didn't watch this on TV. I didn't watch it all of last week. And since last show, I certainly have not watched it. But I have watched, uh, I know in the last show, uh, well, firstly, I haven't written to Budweiser yet. I've completely forgotten. But I have watched an episode of Cobra Kai. Ooh, first one. Yeah. Excellent. The first season one. Four. Season, season four. four, first one. And so, I felt quite disappointed with it. What? Really? How come? Yeah. I just thought it was really just far-fetched. I, I thought where he, um, Creaser, goes to see Terry Silver, the way that he tried, you know, he gets to kind of, oh, yeah, he's getting under his skin. Oh, you know, the fact that he said, like Terry Silver says, like, oh, I was high on cocaine. You know, I tried to get a, a kid to, you know, who's terrorising a, a teenager to do with some stu- stupid, you know, all-valley trophy. And so he then went through this really dark phase. He went to see loads of counsellors and then he's got his life back together again and all those things. I think if you've gone through that kind of thing in your life, right, you just, you, you understand. And it doesn't say like, you know, somewhere having some, you know, vegan, whatever it is, that it just suddenly you flip and you go, oh, do you know what, suddenly I hate this. And I, yes, I'd like to go back to that lifestyle of, you know, terrorising more, you know, more teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> to then go back into this thing that he's realised through spending so much time in this dark, dark place. Because if you've had like that experience, right, then why on earth would you want to go back to it? It doesn't. It just didn't make sense to me as a kind of a hook in from Creaser to get Terry Silver to kind of join in, and just the whole. I don't know. I thought Johnny Lawrence just seemed very tired in it. He just wasn't his usual. It just seemed like he was too tired of playing himself in that role. I just feel it's just, I don't know, it just feels it's been going on. I don't know, I, I just, it didn't make me want to watch the next one. I am going to watch it. I will watch the whole thing, but I'm hoping it gets better. But I just felt very just, i just not enthused by it. No. Just really not enthused by it at all. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, sad, I'm sad for you because I thought it was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic, every episode. And those first, I mean, that first one, just hooked, hooked you in straight away, that, that dynamic between Daniel and, and, and Johnny on how... Again, it, well, there it, isn't a dynamic, though, is it? It, it's it, just it them contrasts their, their personalities and their, 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 their philosophies and beliefs in, in karate and, and, and the, the difference in, yeah, differences in, them, in themselves. I did laugh at one point where at the beginning where he comes in and obviously sets the alarm off and his wife and their son comes through the baseball bat and all this and they're sat down and having a, a glass of wine and they're saying like, oh, should we report to the police? Oh, we just need to relax. Then, the, then his wife says, a small child was thrown from our window. <laughs> <laughs> and that just made me laugh. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just seemed, ah, oh, I don't know, ego. I don't know what it is. It's just like Danny LaRusso's ego. And I think where you've got Danny LaRusso wanting to maintain the All Valley kind of thing, because that for him is the most important. And then you've got Johnny Lawrence, who has got a thing against Creaser because he feels that he ruined his life, you know, where, but Creaser's 
very much in terms of, well, no, I helped him and you were a loser and, and all those things. And then, he, then he focuses on, obviously, the Johnny's son. I don't know, I just find it a little bit unbelievable. I'm just, I don't know whether I, I will watch it, but I was just, anyway, so I, I switched that off and I thought to myself, I know what I need to do. Uh, because obviously I've been watching the book of Boba Fett and there's so much stuff in it. I'm like, do you know what? I can't remember all this stuff with Star Wars. <laughs> so I went back and I watched uh, The Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. And I and I must admit, I didn't hate it as much as when I first watched it, but I really still, I didn't enjoy it too much. I thought the whole, considering George Lucas wrote it, you know, he, he directed it. It's almost like how I feel now about U2, where they've just become fat on their money that when they have to release an album, it's just kind of like we're just going through the notions of it all, yeah? Or motions of the notions, I don't know. But with, so with George Lucas, because he's super rich from Star Wars, from all these things, I, did, I just felt like it was almost like overthought, over, you know, too busy trying to capture all these things and, oh, Anakin was born through the force and, you know, without a father and, and, and just these things. Jar Jar Binks got on my absolute tits. One of the one of the best lines in it, and I think it sums up it kind of, you know, the because obviously was it Liam Neeson plays Qui Gon Jin. Qui Gon Jin. Qui Gon Jin. So there's the bit where Anakin says, "I don't want to be a problem," and then Qui Gon Jin says, "Like, oh, you won't, Annie." It's like, well, actually, this is where you're wrong. He will be like the biggest problem in the whole of the galaxy, because he turns into Darth Vader. Yeah, that's, that's that little wink to the audience, isn't it? Because we know yeah. what will happen, he doesn't. Yeah, exactly. But then, right, obviously, Qui-Gon Jinn dies, as he's dying. No, no, before that, right, when he takes Anakin to the, um, to, to Yoda and Samuel Jackson and uh, the other people to the, to, and they say, look, we should train him up. And they basically says, no, we don't believe that the kid's ready. He's, he's too old, he's too this, and he's not right. <clears throat> and, there's, and there's the whole thing of, look, you could have been on that council, but you're too pig-headed, you're too strong-minded and stuff. Like that's why you're not on it. You're too much of a maverick, yeah? Mm -hmm. So he's obviously dying, and he says to Obi-Wan, oh, train him for me, will you? Train him, make sure you do. And he's like, yeah, okay, I will. And so he's obviously got that promise that he's made to someone on the deathbed and you feel like, oh, I've got to fulfill it. But really the reality was he shouldn't have been trained because this is what the council has decided upon, not some maverick who, you know, it, so it's all Liam Neeson's fault, the whole thing, everything. Mm. It's just, it is all it, boils down to it. that really bad decision. It's, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to address the Qui-Gon bit first the bit you've just mentioned, and then I'm going to backtrack on some of the other stuff. In, in my, my view on... on All right, then I've got Ghostbusters so, to next. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there's, <laughs> no, there's a, a, a kind of a theory or train of thought that has, has been put across quite recently, sort of last couple of years, from Dave Fellini, who is one of the guys behind uh, Boba Fett, Mandalorian, and, and the Clone Wars cartoon. It's, it's kind of George Lucas's protege. And his, his thinking of it is that what Anakin actually needed was a father figure, which is what Qui-Gon would have given him, as opposed to a brother, which was his relationship with Obi-Wan. And that's, that's, that was the problem with, with, with Anakin. He didn't have that, that father figure that he needed. Although you can then argue that the father figure that he did have 
was actually Palpatine, and it was Palpatine manipulating Anakin, who was actually, you know, it's hinted again that, that his his Sith Master, Palpatine's Sith Master, actually um, manipulated the Force to an extent that actually Anakin became into, in, into being. Um, Qui-Gon, although he wasn't on the council, was actually probably had his, his head screwed on better than the Jedi Council because the Jedi Council really were quite blinkered in terms of, of looking at anything other than their specific way of doing things. And they're also politically controlled as well, whereas Qui-Gon, like you said, was, was a bit of a maverick. He wasn't afraid to kind of sort of step out of, of the, 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 the remit or the, the expectation of what a Jedi was. And he, he's actually the one that... that developed the, uh, the the kind of post life as we know it form of, of existence the, the force ghost although he, he didn't have the ability to, to form himself as a force ghost he had he had the ability to communicate from from the afterlife through through the force and then obviously teaches Yoda and, and, and Obi-Wan uh, had to do that so in, in, in a lot of ways that I'd say Qui-Gon was right and the council and Yoda were were wrong Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> what's the next one after that? It's Attack of the Clones, isn't it? Attack of the Clones, yeah. Yeah, that's one of yeah. my favourites. I remember going to see that a week before it was released because I was a journalist in London at the time and I got tickets to see it and I was, all, all my reviews and everything else were embargoed. So I wasn't able to put it online for like a week, but I've still got the, the programme and the oh, ticket cool. Cool. for it. And that was, that was probably my, my favourite. I think it was you know, really, uh, really good movie. I'm going to watch that next. Yeah, I did drop into uh, Solo, but I've not watched much of that. I found it very difficult. But um, one thing that I did, and what's prompted all this, is me trying to. Uh, well, I was chatting to my friend Simon about Boba Fett and how all these things are connected. Because obviously, you've got Obi Wan coming out. Uh, the 25th of May, mm-hmm. isn't it, or something? Well, yep, I thought that right. might be May the 4th. They should have done May the 4th, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, that's set years, that's set 10 years after the return of the Sith. Um, when's Boba Fett set? Uh, the Book of Boba Fett. And I was trying to get my head around that's all those about, things. That's post-Jedi, isn't it? It's about, uh, I think it's about five years post-Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I watched all of the Book of Boba Fett. Have, have you watched all of that? I have. I finished, finished finished the last two episodes today with so there unfortunately seven a load total. of spoilers that I'd seen in between, which which really frustrated me. But because there were seven episodes in total, weren't there? Seven but two episodes, of them, yeah. Boba Fett was hardly in any of them. Mm-hmm. It was like which, the Mandalorian, and they seem to be the best episodes. Yeah, I know. As much as I've enjoyed Boba Fett, it's yeah, like you say, the that I think it was the fifth episode was was probably the best episode of the series, which. Like you said, didn't have Boba Fett at all. It focused on the Mandalorian. And mm. it kind of makes you realise that the Mandalorian is a much more interesting character than than, than Boba Fett. And I, I, th- I think part of the problem, I can't remember if I touched on this um, on the last show, is, is that we've not got Boba Fett as potentially a lot of us were expecting in that, you know, he's always been a bounty hunter, the, the greatest bounty hunter in, in the galaxy and he's, he's, he's been really, you know, kind of hardcore and, and, you know, nobody could 
really sort of get one over on him apart from a, a lucky shot from Han Solo. And we, we've mm. not seen that from from Boba Fett really in, in this series. And, and I understand why, because they, they do explain that, or he explains that in, in uh, I think, episode four. But it's, it, yeah, again, it's... Oh, the Tuscans chilled him out, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, it's good. It's Star Wars, hey, you know, and, and I love a bit of Star Wars and, and there's been some great stuff in there. Mm. Um, the, other, the other thing, and finally, um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm -hmm. I finally, I finally got round to watching that. Uh, what did, what you, did think you think of it? Oh, oh, okay. oh, you first. Me first. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I saw it when it came out at, at the cinema a couple of weeks after, and um, it's been on my kind of sort of radar, my watch list ever since it was announced that it was coming out a good couple of years ago, because I think it was set back and set back and set back due to oh, COVID, COVID and, and, and lockdown. Yeah. So it, it's, it's been there, ready to, to be released. For, for quite some time. It's not a Ghostbusters movie in terms of what we've had before with Ghostbusters 1 and 2, but it, it's, mm. it's a continuation of, of the legacy of, of Ghostbusters. And, and I think that, that was probably the hardest thing for me to get my head around watching it for that first time, in that it is so different to what we've had before with, with Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and, and the real Ghostbusters cartoon, which I used to watch back in the, back in the day. It's it's really really good. I thought it, it's it's got all of those little little nods, those those little beats, those homages to the original Ghostbuster movies, from from the visuals, there's characters, the, the sound effects, the music, and it, it just just sends you on this nostalgia trip back to the original Ghostbusters, and obviously it acknowledges you know very much the events and the characters from from those those original movies. I thought it was clever in terms of how they, they brought back the, um, I suppose spoilers here, certain elements of, 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 of Goza and elements of, of the first Ghostbusters movie back into this and that continuation. I, I enjoyed it and, and I think it, it'll be one of those movies that I kind of, I kind of have two experiences with, with, with movies or, or, or TV shows or, or whatever it is and that you're either kind of blown away immediately there and then and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's an experience that you'll never ever get again from re-watching something because it, it's it's so impactful that first time you can never get that same experience whereas with with Ghostbusters Afterlife there wasn't that kind of oh wow it's, it's fantastic it's the best thing ever but mm. it's really enjoyable and I think it'll be one of those movies I know it's gonna be one of those movies that I can watch and re-watch and re-watch oh, and, no. and appreciate and enjoy every time that I watch it, like the original Ghostbusters. So I've only ever seen Ghostbusters. I think I tried to watch Ghostbusters too, or it just didn't appeal to me because I think I was just a bit, uh didn't think it was. I thought Ghostbusters 1 was fantastic. The soundtrack, everything, the whole concept and all those things. I think, yeah, I have seen Ghostbusters 2, but I, I remember watching it at the time when I was young. I didn't really think, oh, it was that much fun. I didn't enjoy it as much as number one. And then since then I didn't watch any of the stuff in between. I might have played Ghostbusters on the Spectrum as a computer game. I didn't watch any of the Ghostbusters reboots. I did see the one with all the females in it, or the female cast, the female Ghostbusters one. What's that called? Uh, Ghostbusters Answers the Call. I think it was originally Ghostbusters and then they put that tagline in. Which, Answers the Call. Which, which you know, it's, it's not 
it's not fantastic, but it's... Well, when it's, you say here you're going to cut an ounce and stuff like that. It's, it's, but anyway, it's good. I didn't... It's no, still well, enjoyable watch. I didn't, that's the thing, I just didn't just didn't hook into it and stuff like that. And then when I saw, obviously, Afterlife, when I saw the, um, when I saw the trailer, and obviously you got Dan Aykroyd going click, putting the phone down, mm. or, you know, answering it or whatever it is, there's that, oh, wow, yeah, this is, you know, fantastic. They're going to be in the film. It's going to, you know, involve them so much more. And, you know, yes, I like what they did with Harold Ramis. That's really, really sort of touching. The yeah, it was. They, they, they dealt with with him in in the movie, and yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely, the and and definitely. Yeah, and it was it was sad, obviously, because obviously in real life, because I read somewhere that him and Bill Murray had had a massive falling out, and then mm -hmm. they kind of reconciled on his deathbed, and, they, and that's what really annoys me when people have that they leave it to the last minute. You know, it's like look. Don't wait for the other person to die to then say, okay, I forgive you, and then they go, oh, and they can die peacefully. It's like, well, do you know what? If you were if you were prepared to do it, then why wait? Because after you've made up, maybe once you've reconciled your differences, then you should want to move on and do, you know, say, wow, you know, and and have that conversation of moving on and, you know, going past that. Not like, okay, we've reconciled our differences, bash, you're dead, and then you're left. Okay, I helped him bring peace and stuff. Yes, if it's the situation that you're faced with, then great. But if you had that opportunity to try and do that beforehand, don't be pig-headed. And I find Maybe that a great just, shame. It's just it's when you're faced with that situation of potentially losing somebody, that's well, what of kind course. of makes, makes yes. you realise. But yeah, ideally, yeah. But anyway, back to Ghostbusters. So obviously Phoebe, she's the granddaughter of Harold Ramis's Egon Spangler. She's mm -hmm. 12 years old, right? So how on earth, I know she built the, uh, oh my God, what's the machine they use to, to the, the ecto, uh, what's the thing that they blast the ghosts with? Proton packs, proton packs. Pro, the proton packs, right? She yeah. helped, it was, she helped, it was helped built with the lamp, who obviously you think is obviously Harold, uh, sorry, Igor, Egon. Egon. But then she was 12, right? And the fact that she can still blast it, and it's not blowing her away. And just the way that she, you know, as a 12 year old, everything that she does, I'm like, hang on a minute. This is like for, for a 12 year old to go through this. And then Trevor, her brother, who can suddenly drive like a rally driver, this big car. I just felt that was a bit far fetched. And of course, then you've got Paul Rudd's character who's like, oh yeah, wow. You know, and he's so cool. You know, he's a seismologist. Yeah, he's so cool. Why is he, you know, why is he single? Why is he just kind of, you know, and, I know he gets romantically involved with their mum and everything else, but at the same time, it's like, oh, he's so cool, so charming. How come he's single then? Why is it that he's, you know, if he's so cool and charming, why is he not hooked up with someone previously to this? He, there's something wrong with him. And I don't know, I, I just felt the whole thing was just a bit far-fetched. And then obviously when the dudes come, you know, she makes that phone call and then suddenly they all get together. And then, but they've already said that. Um, he, he, you know, uh, Harold Ramis had, had, had gone off with all the equipment and, and, and what have you. One thing that did get me was when the credits are rolling and it says who's in the movie and then obviously you've got this name pop up and I'm like, hang on a minute, they weren't in the movie? And then, mm. boom, they then pop up and I went, mm -hmm. all right, you got me, well done. Yeah, I think overall it was a good movie, yes, but I felt it was a bit far-fetched. But yes, don't get me wrong, it was entertaining to watch. 
But yeah, I really wish, is, I wish that the, the, you know, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and, oh my goodness. Ernie Hudson. Uh, Ernie, Ernie Hudson. Hudson. Ernie Hudson, apologies. Imagine the storyline where Harold Ramis's character is a ghost and they have to go after him. And then that whole thing of, oh God, you know, he's the one terrorizing and they're the ones who, they, they then have to go after him. Would that have been a better story? Would that have been, you know, the whole thing of what do we do about this? And the turmoil and the internal battles of, you know, and, and this, the sadness from it all, I don't know. But yeah, as I say, Ghostbusters Afterlife, it, I think it got a average rating of 6.1 out of 10 uh, on the Rotten Tomatoes thing or whatever it is. It's, it's a good movie to watch. I would, Definitely. you know, if you've got Amazon, whatever it is I watched it on, then um, yes, do, do go ahead and watch it. Yes, definitely, definitely. It's, it's a bit fun. It's entertainment. It's, it's a nice, like, family movie. It's, it's clever in that it, it, it gives you that next generation. Um, you know, it's been so long since the original movies that there's, there's, there's probably going to be people that will go and see Afterlife not knowing that much about the original Ghostbusters. And that's where it's clever because the audience, some audience members will go on that same journey as, as some of the characters that they're unaware of the events of, of, of 1985 when the original movie is, is set so it's, it's clever like that and it's Ghostbusters you know it's the same as Star Wars any, any anything new like that is, is, is from a fan's a true fan's point of view is is, is appreciated
Meta's threat to close down Facebook and Instagram in Europe, Europe, sorry, Europe, I'll start again. <laughs> Meta's, Meta's threat to close down Facebook and Instagram in Europe backfires as EU leaders embrace the shutdown and saying life would be very good without it. So European leaders have embraced Meta's indirect warning to shut down its Facebook and Instagram operations across Europe if the social media giant is no longer able to process Europeans' data on US servers. Last week or a few weeks ago, Germany's new economy minister, Robert Habeck, told reporters during a meeting in Paris, after I was hacked, I have lived without Facebook and Twitter for four years and life has been fantastic. Speaking alongside his German colleagues, French finance minister Bruno Le Maire added, I can confirm that life would be very good without Facebook and that we would live very well without Facebook. The two leaders commented on Meta's statement that if it is not given the option to transfer, store and process data from its European servers on US-based servers, Facebook and Instagram may be shut down across Europe. Damn, that means people wouldn't be able to follow us, Carl, on our Instagram page, mm. which is the username Excellent Podcast. And what's our Facebook um, one? Is it fb.com forward slash Excellent Podcast Show? I'm sure podcast? it is, yes. Something like that. I'm sure if you have a look. Anyway, the social media giant's owner reportedly warned in its annual report that the key issue for Meta is transatlantic data transfers regulated by the so-called privacy shield and other model agreements that Meta uses or used to store data from European servers in American servers. Blah, 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 blah. So anyway, therefore, it's previously used the transatlantic data agreement framework called Privacy Shield as a legal basis to carry out what those data transfers would entail. However, this treaty was annulled by the European Court of Justice in July 2020 because of data protection violations. Since then, the EU and the US did stress that they are working on a new or updated version of the treaty. So how do you think it would be if they were to suddenly get rid of Facebook and... Um, Instagram, what do you reckon? Or suddenly they say, you've got to pay five quid to access it. Personally, I mean, I could quite easily live without Facebook. I've only been on it for about a year anyway. And that was kind of, you know, a few circumstances pushed me onto, onto signing up to Facebook. I wanted you but, to, yeah, because we've but, got a web page. You know, I, could, I, could, I could quite easily live without it. And I think people waste far too much time. It's so easy to go on on you know any form of social media, Twitter, TikTok, um, you know all, all of those, and just waste waste your time, and you could be putting that into something more constructive, something you know maybe artistic, something that that is just a better use of your time. Do you know I had burger sauce with a hot dog today. Oh. I mean, I need I need it. That's something to write on what? Facebook, is it not? <laughs> Maverick. I know completely thrown convention out of the window that's how I roll no no I tuck my leg my chin into my chest and lean forward that's how I roll I find a lot of people just look really peeved when they're trying to look like posy and I'm like everyone just looks really pissed off you meant to smile in pictures aren't you or they yeah they they, they have that thing and they look pissed off and they're raising an eyebrow so I just feel like when I'm looking at all these and I'm flicking it through I just feel like I'm being judged all the time people are like hmm sat there in your, your dressing gown looking at Facebook and I'm like, I oh, am, yeah, aren't I? Oh shit. And that's like, I know they're obviously not looking at me, but the way that they're just kind of like, mm -hmm. I'm like, right, I'm sick and tired of Facebook. Just gets on my nerves. 
Just don't go on it. I won't, I won't. Instead, I'll listen to records. I sent you through Rob's records. What is it this week? This show, it's Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. It was written by Jimi Hendrix. It was recorded in 1968, and it is on the third album of Jimi Hendrix, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, Electric Ladyland, which I don't know if you've seen. Can you remember the front cover of that? It's a double album, all the naked women on the front cover. I they can't, I probably should. You probably should do. I'll send you a, uh, I do have the, I have the sleeve upstairs. I have the original sleeve, but the records in it are from the 70s reissue, which is a bummer, because if they'd have been the original records with that particular sleeve, it'd have been worth a mint. So Noel Redding plays bass and Mitch Mitchell is bump on drums. The single itself, Voodoo Child, Slight Return, wasn't released until after Jimmy's uh, Hendrix's death the, the, the single was released in 90, 1970, and it was the only UK number one that he had. Mm -hmm. um, the actual song was recorded eight times, and the last one was chosen as the master. So what you hear is version eight. And when I was reading that, it was like, okay, so it's just Jimi Hendrix, a bassist and a drummer. And then you hear the song, and it's like, mm -hmm. wow. You it's know, just so it, much more immense. to it, isn't it? Yeah. It is just a, a, a monster of a song. That's what got me into Jimi Hendrix. And it, one, of the things I remember, one of the things I wrote down about this was St John's Head, which is the pub in Great Yarmouth near the Haven Bridge yes. like tax office or whatever it was. They had a little jukebox in there. And that used to be one of the ones I'd put in there. Obviously, it's in the film with Nat and I. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. Oh, we should do. I should have. I should have. It's a, it's a really good film, mm. a British film. I remember when I was at uni, we I, one of the subjects I studied was um, British cinema, and we all at the beginning there was the t the tutor was like, oh, you know, what what one of your favourite movies? And someone said like, you know, with Nine and I, and everyone in the room was like, yeah, yeah. And the teacher was like, oh my god, what a load of rubbish. And I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to be watching some weird avant-garde thing. I mean, saying that, I watched Brighton Rock, which is quite a good one. It's uh, an old one. But anyway, no, back to Jimmy. Yeah, I, that's, this is the song that got me into the Jimi Hendrix experience. And obviously hearing it in With Nell and I, it's, you know, another great song. And yes, we'd mentioned about the 27 Club. Jimi Hendrix was unfortunately one of those. Choked on his own vomit, I think, from, um, uh, from, from sleeping too heavy from uh, heroin. Uh, and his girlfriend just, I think, didn't know what to do. If she'd have rolled him on his side, he could still been alive or something. But instead, I think she waited and then called some some people for help. And by the time they'd got round there, he'd, he'd suffocated on his or you know, uh, asphyxiation mm -hmm. on his own vomit. But I mean, obviously, you have you have heard this song before. You must. Have oh heard. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great song, great song. And and Jimi Hendrix, it just just makes so much sound from from the guitar. The way that he plays it, it's just. It's just fantastic. It is amazing what he can do. Mm. I don't listen to him enough of him, actually. I mm. feel like I, it's, it's, it's one of those ones that... I remember having Electric Ladyland and taking it round my girlfriend at the time, uh, uh, Catherine's, and uh, putting it on. And there's a 15-minute version of Voodoo Child on there. And that's what they recorded first. And I think then the next day they went into... Well, no, they, were, um, they had to go to a TV studio to record something and they said oh can you just jam whilst we 
film around you. So they, what they did is they then basically wrote Voodoo Child, Slight Return, in that uh, rehearsal. And then they went off to the studio and then, and then recorded it. But you listen to the 15-minute version. Have you heard the album Electric Ladyland? I'm going to profess no, I haven't. I don't think I've, I've ever listened to a whole album. There's obviously the, the, kind of the, the, the well-known, the greatest hits of, of, of Jimi Hendrix, which I'm very familiar with. But to actually sit down and listen to a whole album, yeah. no, I'm going to hold my hand up and say, no, I haven't. Well, it's good. I mean, of the three, I mean, he had I've Experienced, which I, is my least favourite. I should, you know, as an introduction, it should be one of those things you think, yeah, it's his first album, so you automatically love it because of what it is. And then the second one was Axe's Bulbers Love. There's you know, some fantastic songs on there. But, uh, you know, Electric Ladyland, for me, it's one of the albums you can put on. And, yeah, it's, it's just... I remember my brother getting it on CD and putting it on, and there's this weird like introduction, almost kind of like, you know, is there or is there not UFOs? And you're like, what? And then it goes into, um, have you ever been to Electric Ladyland? Then it goes bash straight into Crosstown Traffic. And it's like, wow. You know, because I think previous to that, I'd heard, I mean, I'd heard Voodoo Child, but then Foxy Lady, that was from Wayne's mm -hmm. World. Yeah. I'd heard all those things. Like Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton, they were like the two main guitarists, weren't they, at, uh, in, the, in the 60s? Obviously, Clapton was with Cream, and Jimmy was the Jimi Hendrix experience, and he was produced by Chaz Chandler, who was the bassist from The Animals, of all places. And Jimmy wasn't famous in America. It took for Chaz Chandler to bring him over to England, and I think, well, I, can't, Ronnie, I don't know if it was Ronnie Scott, so it was some club that he was in, and it was like, he played there at the lunchtime gig, and then by the evening, all of the famous, like, I don't know if it was Pete Townsend, Mick Jagger, I think Paul McCartney was there. All wow. of the mm -hmm. popular people had gone then, like bang, they'd heard this fantastic thing of this musician, this, you know, this you know, young black kid from America has come over, left-handed guitarist, and it's like, wow. And he just blew everyone's mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and again, it's just a sad demise of, of somebody. And, and I, and the reason I've, I've recorded, uh, wanted to listen to this song is we mentioned about, obviously, you know, I'd, I'd said about Jimi Hendrix and just thinking, like, what would it have sounded like in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s? When you think of, you know, all of the things that, you know, not necessarily the Stones do, I find them quite tiresome after a while, especially in the 90s and, and onwards, not, not too many of the songs. I, I like Doom and Gloom, that's a good one. But... You know, I think it's just a shame, the whole thing of, you know, what if. Mm. So we've just got to enjoy what we have. Exactly, and talking of which, should we, should we put the song on and then yes. have an enjoyment? Yes.
For many of us, the birth of our first child is likely to be one of the most important moments in our lives. And for most dads, missing out on this moment your baby is born would be devastating. But one mum-to-be on Reddit has been left furious with her husband as he seems to have, uh, have other priorities that clash with the impending arrival of their baby. And he's not willing to compromise. Why do you reckon that might be? What is compromise? No idea, sorry. <laughs> you weren't even listening. All right. I was, Share I was. It. you just completely oh. caught me off guard then, sorry. All right, on guard. Um, sharing her story anonymously, the 25-year-old pregnant woman reveals she's due to give birth in March on the exact day that the Batman is due to hit cinemas, and her husband, 28, is determined to see Robert Patterson in action as Bruce Wayne and his crime-fighting alter ego on that same day. The woman said, My husband and I are expecting a baby. She sounds very manly, like me. My husband and I are expecting a baby. And as you may know, there is a new Batman movie released, released in early March. My husband is a big fan of that kind of stuff and wants to see it on the opening day. The issue is that our estimated due date is exactly on that day. I know that only a fraction of babies are actually born on the exact due date, but I have always been very regular on my periods and I have a feeling that I may be one of those cases. According to her husband, he has no choice but to see the Matt Reeves-helmed film on opening day because otherwise he opens himself to potential spoilers. The man also accused his wife of being irrational and emotional because of her pregnancy when she was expressing that she was upset as the possibility of him missing the birth of their child. The woman added, he says it is important to see the movie on the first day because of spoilers. He said that even if I end up having the baby that day whilst he is watching the movie, at worst, he would arrive a few hours late, which he says is not such a big deal. He says I am being irrational and emotional because of being pregnant. I am upset because I feel deprioritized by him. Commenters on, Reddit post, on the Reddit post couldn't believe this man's cheek, with many suggesting it's easy to avoid spoilers, so he shouldn't consider missing his child's birth. One said he thinks possibly being spoiled on a superhero movie is a bigger deal than possibly missing the birth of his child. I'm sorry you're having a baby with someone with such messed up priorities. So there you go. Absolutely, because the thing is, right, I remember when, when my son was born, for about two weeks, I don't think, I, it was like I didn't know what from dad. I didn't, because like, every mm. three hours I was getting up and, and, and help feeding him and changing him with my wife and, 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 and everything else. And you just lose kind of any kind, of, yeah, I wasn't watching the TV. I was hardly checking my phone. Obviously messages of people saying like, go and send pictures to my parents and my family and everything else. But other than that, I wouldn't, I would never have known anything that's going on. There could have been a world war. <laughs> I've just been like, da, 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 da. but no, very peculiar. Yeah, How is his child? So, yeah, it's it's, it's awful for, for for the mother because she's being put into a, a secondary position over a movie. I mean, we all we all love you know movies, music. I mean, it's, it's a large part of what we talk about on 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 the show, isn't it? But at the end of the day, get your priorities straight. Mm. You know, it's a movie at the end of the day. And how if if his this child as it grows up, realises that its father chose a movie 
over the opportunity wow. of being there at, at its birth. How is that going to have an impact on, on that child later in, in life, knowing that its father is, is too self-obsessed with, with a, a, a movie? Mm. Okay, Carl. Sorry, that's, that's just wild me, that one. <laughs> I don't oh, often get like that, but, but that one, that one, yeah. Yeah. Well, all it is is that the, 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 all, the, all that needs to happen is the, the father just needs to stop his child from listening to the Robin Carl's excellent podcast show where we've just covered this and then maybe the child, because Reddit probably, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the mum will, will, you know, tell the child. But in that case, fine. But if not, just keep, just steer clear of our podcast and they'll be... All right, so which that you won't realise until after he's listened to this bit where we've told him not to listen to it, which is after the bit that involves him. He might not even know it's about him, you know. Unless mm. Mm, mm. anyway, anyway, let's um, move on. Move on swiftly. Let's, let's move on. I was going to ask you, when was the last time you used a vending machine? So what? I very rarely use the vending machine because I find they are just anxiety-inducing <laughs> machines, just from the whole thing of. Just, I'll I'll press the button and I'll watch it swivel around and then I'll go get stuck, and it's like no, I want my McCoy's crunchy ridged crisps. <laughs> you know, always... and it's like, what do you do? You, you want to shake it, but you think the alarm's going to go mm. off. Oh, sorry, no. I'm I think the last of, time of, of pressing the wrong the wrong button, you know, you go to well, exactly, six and, it, and, and you? you put put G six. It's like, oh no, I've ended up with a crunchy when I really wanted a a picnic. And it's, it's, all, exactly. it's all just, just gone to... I know, yeah. but there used to be... I used to be, I think, in, in answer to your question, in, in all honesty, I think the last time I probably used it was at the Marina Centre, um, blimey, in the 90s, perhaps, when I'd gone in there to swim, and then afterwards it was like, or after a game of five-a-side football or badminton or squash or something. And so there would always be the thing of, Let's get something from there because the can the, the the cafeteria would get like a slush puppy, which is really expensive, or you know chips, and I didn't want those. I just wanted a chocolate bar or something. And there used to be that wonderful thing is when you'd press it and two things would mm. drop at the same mm. time, or where you'd you'd go to do it and someone hadn't lifted, so the previous person had used it and two things had dropped down beforehand. Oh, there's, and there's only, still twenty p on one the credit. Or the, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you'd be like, ooh, we saved a bit of money. But yeah, getting polo mints, getting things. I'd go for the things that, you know, would, would pop down. Or you'd see stuff and that'd be like, oh, if you were to do that one, the chances are, because that one's so far, far forwards, you'd get two of the same things that would drop. But it used to be horrible when they'd get stuck because you'd try and you'd be like, you'd want to shake the machine and the security guard would come around saying, what are you trying to do? And it's like, well, look, my McCoys are there. And I need it, and then he'd have a go at shaking it, and you're just like, okay, then they'd pop out the bottom. And um, but yeah, and there is. I read somewhere though that there is a code that you can type in that gives you free access to it. But I used wow. to see all these things at London State, London train stations, and there was a few times I'd be on the way home feeling quite worse for wear and thinking, oh, I think maybe I should have a uh, a red coke just for the caffeine and the sugar, just to give me a bit of a pep. But um, I thought, no, I, I just, I mean, in this state, I'm going to press the wrong button. I'm going to end <laughs> up with the Milky Bar or something, and, I'm, mm. and all I really want is a Coke. And plus, you know what happened? The thing would drop from the top all the way to the bottom, and I'd be like, oh, excellent. 
so thrilled with the idea that I'd got this Coke. My anxiety levels have dropped and I'd open it, it'd just piss all over me, wouldn't it? I'd <laughs> it'd explode, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when was the last time you used the vending machine? Probably about three weeks ago. Uh, there's one, there's, yeah, there's, there's one at work and, and they've got, you know, the crisps and the chocolate bars and the drinks in there. And um, How much is a chocolate bar, out of curiosity? Sorry? How much is a chocolate bar? Everything's 70 Is it reasonable price? 70p, so it's, actually, it's actually better priced than in the, in the shops because it's, it's about a pound, isn't it, for a, for a Mars bar or something? I don't days. know. So, are your choices made on the fact that, say for example, you see a double-decker and you know that's in the shop for 55p, and you go, right, I'm not going to go for that. Ooh, but I see that there's a Yorkie bar there, and that's 70p, and normally, yeah. I know, in Browns, the corner shop, that's a pound. So do you go for <laughs> those kind of things, and you, you well, play it that way? I kind of go for what I feel. You will know. They, they, they do do a quite nice flapjack in there. I've had that a couple of times because I know that's going to be filling and, and it's going to... What kind of flapjack? Has it got yoghurt in it or is it just... Uh, Describe me just this flapjack. A, I think it's just a plain flapjack. Oh, well, with golden syrup. Yeah. But I do oh, like flapjacks. Sugar I do, and I do, I do, I do like, I do like um, flapjacks. So... Um, mm. I used yeah. to go to Holland and Barrett and get one and think that I was actually being quite healthy. But really, the size of those flapjacks and the amount of mm -hmm. sugar in it, no. Not much better than a Mars bar, no. No, it helps no. you work, rest and play. <laughs> I, I must admit, the, the, the thing that kind of got me onto thinking about vending machines was when we were just coming out of the first lockdown, I think it was, and, and masks were absolutely mandatory to, to wear in, in public. And I was in Castle Mall shopping centre, and I remember going in, into there and there's a, a vending machine and it was full of face masks and, and I thought yeah clever uh, and it just just seemed such an, an, an opportune opportunity that somebody's taken to buy a, a, a vending machine with something that the people need and and well how much how did you see how much the face masks were or you I just think, walked past and went that's a good idea I think they were I think they were at least a fiver they, 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 were, they were overpriced. They were overpriced for, for what you could get them. I think uh, I'd take my chance for, with a COVID for a five. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, was, <laughs> it, was just, it was just, you know, just such a strange thing because you think of vending machines are generally are your, are your, your sweets and your drinks and, and, and your snacks. And actually, it's, yeah. it's quite far from that. There's, there are some very bizarre vending machines out there, largely in, in Japan and China. A few in the states as well, but they're, there's they're, you can think of pretty much anything, uh, and there's a vending machine. Ah, uh, do you know what? You just reminded me you could get a burger vending machine. Yeah, I think it was, and it was microwaved. Yes, and so you'd get it, and you'd get, and because I, I remember the the bun would be absolutely dry as hell, the burger would be as hot as hell, and the sauce in it would just be hotter than the sun. And so you'd have to wait for it to cool down and then you're just like, well, this isn't very nice. Because I remember the, the chicken. I remember, I think I might have had a chicken one. But have you got any, any other examples of one? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've sort of look, looked into a, a, a few here and there's, let's say, there's all sorts of weird and wonderful ones. And, and a few that have, have, have kind of jumped out at me. That The first one was, was a French fry vending machine. And, and the reason for that is I know you love your French fries. And, 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 and I thought of oh, you when, 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 I, when I saw that. And, and it's like a couple of... Couple of couple of dollars or something. I, I can't remember how much they said, but two minutes in, you've got yourself a a, a carton of, of 
freshly cooked French fries. And um, yeah, that's definitely one for, for you, but loads, loads of food items, you know, pizza, and uh, there's one for bananas. A whole vending machine dedicated just to, the, to bananas. So an, either a but single banana pop out, or a hand of bananas. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? How? Because that'd be like, Some if it's, have... it's curved, how would it pop out the little hole? You'd have to. Uh, it could get stuck. Yeah, yeah. Is um... that a banana in your vending machine? Or are you just <laughs> happy to see me? <laughs> Another food one. This this one's for me, and I know we've we've touched on on this on a previous show. Is is freshly baked baguettes, which is this is Ooh. obviously in France, and. Uh, it's just 24 seven, you know, availability of, of, of a French baguette. So no matter what time you're on a freshly warm. So 10, baguette, 10, 10 o'clock at night, you're thinking, yeah. oh, fancy. I could do with a yeah. French baguette. I've pop, got the munchies. I know, to, I'll go for something really dry. To the vending machine. Yeah, Lovely exactly. stuff. Mm-hmm. Apparently oh. there's also a 15 storey building car vending machine. So literally, they're all stored in this massive fifteen-story building, and you would, as, as you, in, as you would with a a vending machine, you would pick, pick the car that you want, and it's all automated. It would take it off of whichever rack it's on, bring it down to the, the showroom, and bang, you've got yourself a, a car. But I mean, that'd be a pain in the ass to pay for that, wouldn't you? Be like feeding all these these hundred-dollar bills into things like. Oh. <laughs> That's a big big oh bag God. of uh, change there, yeah. isn't there? Exactly, yeah, put it all in quarters. Yeah, right, it might yeah. be some time. You, you're probably going to have to come back tomorrow. But no, I was thinking, I remember one of the worst things that you could ever buy from a vending machine. What do you think it was? Well, I've got one written down from here. Sweets. From sweets. It's, it's them gumballs. Um, polo mints. Because they would whack the thing and they'd mm. shatter it into a thing. So when you opened up the packet, all you had was like polo bits. Polo <laughs> So I was not happy about that. Back onto the back onto the foodie themed uh, vending machine is is polo mints are a food. They are yes. So is so is crab. And in China, they they what? have a vending machine that's kept chilled to basically keep live crabs in a state of, of, of dormancy. So it's apparently it's a delicacy. So you go there and pop in your yen or, or whatever it is they they have and and you end up with a a live crab in a in a little plastic box and it comes with the, like oh, the sauces box. and stuff. I thought, I thought it's going to be like the ones where, you can, where it drops down and you've got to put your hand <laughs> in. I'm like, I'm not putting my hand in there. <laughs> the claws are like, snapping at you. Yeah. Hey, you little bastard. Yeah. I'm like, no way. Um, you just take it, take it home and cook it. That's that's just mind blown on, on, on that one. One of, my, one of my favourites. One of my favourites is... I thought the crab one was your favourite. No, no, no. Um, I've, I'm going to mention Lobster. this favourite, and then I've got a couple of other sort of, sort of bizarre ones as well. One of my favourites is, is a, a short story vending machine. And you can either get, you can either get a one-minute, three-minute, or five-minute read. And, then, and, and it's basically printed out on this, this kind of massive, long, like, till receipt. So you, you, you kind of select your story, select the length, and, 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 and the idea behind it is... If you're, say, nipping on the bus or the train or something, and you don't want to be stuck on your phone, Facebook, um, 
you've got something a little bit more constructive you can do with your time as in reading a short story. And I just think, what? what about looking what, out the window and daydream? Such as, yeah, there's that as well. Think of there's ideas well. for the next podcast. Or whilst, whilst, whilst you wait for the bus, you know, you can, you know, I've got, a uh, bus is going to be uh, three minutes away. Let me get myself a little three minute story to read. I think that's just such a oh, lovely, that's... such a, a lovely, lovely little idea. It's so simple. And, uh, no, I, um, it's, it's, I don't. I think it's like, you know, okay, you've got three minutes to kill. Let's fill it with, fill it with something. It's like, no, no, just take a breather. Don't do anything. Another one is Lego. A vending machine just of, of, of Lego. And yeah, I mean, how cool would that be? That would be uh, quite cool. What, as in like you, you can buy a Lego set and it just pits, Actual Lego, it Lego just kind of puts it onto a bag or you go there and you buy a Lego piece. No, no, it's a full, full set, full set. Oh wow, that'd be quite good. Yeah, I thought that was that's kind of kind of cool. Uh, yeah, because that means if you've got a fiver, you could get some Lego for a fiver. If you've got a lot more money, then you choose the different bits yeah. and pieces. Unless, of course, one bit gets stuck on its journey down, or is it in the bag already? No, it's all, I guess, it's all boxed it? and boxed and bagged as you would get it off. Oh a, right, off a shelf. I say there'd be nothing worse than having a couple of bits missing, mm. and then someone comes along with their one. They've got two extra bits. They go, oh, that's nice. They give you two extra bits all the time. What you wouldn't want with that is the Lego already made, and then as it drops down, it smashes in the bottom of the, the vending machine. Well, I think anything. That's like Kinder Eggs when you open them up and the thing's already made. It's like, no, I, I wanted well, what's to make the point it. In that? Yeah. Exactly. Well, mm -hmm. it's a rip off. Anyway. Another one is, is Knife Goldfish. Is this for a snack or to take home? No, I think this is to take home as, as, as a pet. And you have oh. to actually catch. There's, there's, there's kind of a. a almost a, a game element in this as well. The, the vending machine, you have to catch the fish to, to, to get it as well, so. Oh, blimey. Mm. Is this, whereabouts is this? What country? This is, uh, I, I think this is again, again sort of China or, or Japan. Well, they're, they're very big on their, their vending machines over there. Mm. Lots of lots of weird and wonderful. Which brings me onto, onto my, my last one on, on the, uh, the the list here that I was going to mention, there are, you know, say, think of anything and there is a vending machine. I, I try to think of some things afterwards. I think, oh yeah, there's no vending machine for that. Like first aid, um, first aid materials or cheese and crackers. And I think, Google it. And yes, there are vending machines for first aid materials and, and cheese and crackers. And it's like anything you can think of. And this last one, this list is, is again, a very bizarre. Um, and it's used panties, allegedly used panties, a vending machine. No, they, no, they are, because what I do is I, I as, a, as a job, <laughs> I wear women's underwear and I sit on a heated uh. Uh, cushion, get all hot, wear them for about half an hour, take them off, put them in a bag, and I can get through quite a few of those in a day, send them off, and then, there's these perverts believing that they're smelling some woman's um, Angelina Jolie, I think it is currently. They believe that they're sniffing her yeah. underwear. But it's my crack. Well, fascinating um, income Insight opportunity into my life. You've, you've, uh, <laughs> you've, you've given us there. So um, there we go. So vending exactly. machines. Didn't know that, did you? No. Excellent. Um, well, Carl, there is an opening. There is an opening. Literally, I think Cameron Diaz has come up if you want to be her, her panties. 
listener. Get, get me signed up. Get me signed up. Some people are blessed with the ability to sink more pints than an old navy ship and to wake up feeling fresh as a daisy. Some of us, however, aren't quite so lucky. Yep, many of us are familiar with the painfully dry mouth, banging headache and queasy stomach combo after a night on the booze that would be surprised if we didn't wake up with a hangover from hell. But while we're united in suffering, everyone deals with their hangovers in different ways. Some don't move from the confines of their bed. Others are straight on Deliveroo for the biggest McDonald's breakfast order your bank account will allow. According to one doctor, however, they're all doing it wrong because there's only one true way to get over a hangover. But he absolutely doesn't recommend it. Chances are you'll be familiar with the phrase hair of the dog or what makes you bad makes you better. And according to Dr. Carl, any relation? Mm, possibly. They're absolutely right. So the 73-year-old doctor from Australia recently revealed that the only way to get over a hangover is to consume more alcohol. So on his podcast, Science with Dr. Carl, mm -hmm. but obviously next, next as a show. medical, that's the other show that you do, is it? It's it swine. is. 
Uh, but obviously, as a medical professional, he doesn't recommend people doing it every time they've got a bit of a rough head off of too many vinos. He says, unfortunately, a cure is just a bit of alcohol, the hair of the dog, which is a bad pathway to go down, he said, before explaining that consuming more alcohol prevents the body from absorbing methanol, which is a toxic chemical found in booze, which happens to make you feel pretty terrible. So instead, the body is busy coping with the new ethanol in the more recent alcohol being consumed. But of course, the body will eventually have to deal with the methanol, which means you're only delaying your hangover rather than getting rid of it. So in more practical terms, the best way to help your body deal with a hangover is to keep as hydrated as possible and make sure you catch up on your sleep. If you can handle some food, that can also be a great help too. So yes, time to get that Big Mac on the way. So interestingly, right, if alcohol was invented today as a beverage, it would not be allowed to be sold because it doesn't pass any of the pharmaceutical tests required for food and drink because it'd be considered a poison because the effect that it has really? on our bodies. Yeah, so it's interesting that, you know, uh, alcohol, but saying that, if you didn't have alcohol, what would you have? What would you have? It'd just be people would just be in bored shitless, wouldn't they? They'd want more from their politicians than, than just all the crap they're having to deal with and, and more community centres as opposed to sitting at home and uh, drinking a bottle of wine at night just to get through. Or there'd probably be more divorces because they suddenly realise, oh, I can't stand the, the person I'm living with. But uh, yes, what do you think about that then? To, to mm. get over a hangover, drink more, drink but saying more, that you're only delaying more. it. Mm. Have you got a hangover cure that works for you? Oh, do you know what? I was thinking about the other day, and I've only probably ever been drunk about 10 or 15 times in my entire life. And the times that I have done, um, when I was at uni, I used to have this thing of like uh, baked beans and a sausage roll would seem to be my number one thing. Um, Generally speaking, I am one of the ones that just lays in bed and cannot move and I will sip water and then from sipping the water, I would then get to the bathroom to have to be sick up again from it all. And I, I think just having a massive headache and just feeling rough, you know, it, it's the worst experience ever. That's probably where I've never been that drunk or mm -hmm. never had, you know, and I just don't like it. That, that feeling is just... Just the worst. Have you ever been drunk? No. Boring old, boring, boring old father. I mean, you know, I haven't. Apart from sort of a, a few drinks last year, um, I haven't had any this year yet. Um, I, no. I, I didn't drink for ages, did I? So I, I, I've, I've never gone out and gone. Well, there is this man in, uh, there is this gentleman in Australia who is, I, th I don't know if he's 106 or something. I don't know. He is, uh, I think, or maybe he's just turned 100, right? And, and they said, what's your secret? And he said, well, I've never smoked and I've never drank any alcohol. And this guy's fit as a fiddle. He's so, he's completely independent. Nothing, you know, he says, you know, he's, mm -hmm. he's still out and about, leads a really independent life. He's not in a wheelchair, nothing, you know, no hobbles, no ailments, you know, probably get knocked over by a drink driver. That'd be the irony. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How the, um, the, uh, Alcohol wouldn't be invented, or would, well, if it was invented today, wouldn't be allowed into mm -hmm. the mainstream. It's too much, too much money, isn't there? Well, too much taxes and well, exactly. the other stuff on exactly. it. It's like cigarettes, you know, you think about cigarettes, the amount of tax that they put on cigarettes, that's why they don't ban mm -hmm. them completely. 
because I don't know how much this pack of cigarettes are now, 12 quid, which I think when we were... Oh, easily, depends where you came from, but I'd say easily 12. But that's if what not I 15, can't understand. 16. Getting up to 18 pounds from, from some... And that's for 20, and that's for 20 cigarettes. And I can't understand, because when yeah. I was, mm -hmm. I remember going to, when I, was, when I went to Italy at uni, I bought loads of Marlboro Lights, and I was selling them for 250, a, no, selling them for three quid a pack when I went back to uni, or two for a fiver. Or if that's completely illegal, then I didn't do any of that when I, <laughs> when I was younger. So I don't know if that is or not, but um, it totally wasn't me if it, if it was. But no, it's, it's, it's just really strange, isn't it? How, uh, how expensive it's got. Anyway, last show, did I tell you, obviously we, we spoke about uh, my Beatles journey. One of the things I forgot to mention in that yes. is when I first got into the Beatles, it was very much all about John Lennon. And so I went off and I bought myself a rhythm guitar, or a guitar rather, to play rhythm guitar. And then from watching Get Back, I know it's, it, it's surprising because at the end of my journey, I, I've got, I went out and I brought myself a Hofner bass, similar to the one that McCartney, well, the one that McCartney plays, right? Cool. And it's like I'd gone 180, because mm -hmm. I suddenly had this mass appreciation for McCartney and all the bass playing and all the things, and going back to, you know, when you hear the bass, bass lines to all of the Beatles songs and how you know, innovative he was. And it's, and it's just sent me off a, on a massive journey as well to do with all the kind of, um, the bass bits. So anyway, I, I bought this bass and it was it arrived from Germany uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was just so dead excited to uh, to receive it. I couldn't and then when I obviously when I opened it up and it looks exactly like the the violin bass that that McCartney's got, and I'm mm -hmm. like, wow, this is you know amazing. And and so what I want to do for you tonight is to play you a song, mm -hmm. and you have to guess what the intro is, uh -huh. right? So I haven't cool. uh, I haven't been playing it for, for for today. I did, oh, there's another song. What did I, what, what did I love? Seven Nation Army, which is a White Stripes song. That's really easy yeah, cool. to play. Mm -hmm. And then um, Another One Bites the Dust by Queen, which is a bit of a hypocritical thing for me to to do. <laughs> I know. But it's like after after all you've said, after all you've said about well, Queen. I said they're you? a greatest hits band only. <laughs> I don't think they're I don't think they're fantastic. We're not gonna play any of the Queen on here and I certainly won't be saying, oh what do you think? What song's this? But no, I mean John Deacon's probably the nicest member of Queen because he basically kept his mouth shut and he retired when he should have done this to trying to flog the old thing around with just the two of them knocking about. It's just, anyway. So, anyway, let me just put all these bits and pieces down. Let me pick up the bass. Hang on, let me put these down. So I'm gonna, uh, hang on, so I'll put it all down, I'll pick it up and then I'll just uh, play the song and then you have to do it. Okay, cool. <clears throat>
good. It's got a nice sound to it. Hang on, it? sorry, I just put my earphones in. Say that again, what? <laughs> I'm gonna say, very good. Uh, it's, it's got a very nice, it's got a very nice tone to it, a very nice sound. Yes, it has. I was, I mean, this is the thing, through the, uh, through the Black Star, I, I got that in Denmark Street, um, Timpan Alley, from, for you as familiar, in London. And um, yeah, I think the, the, the amp was 50 quid. And it just sounded, it sounds immense, because you've got like a little button where you can do gain, like a bit of overdrive to it. It's also got a bit of delay. And so, oh, sorry, did you know what the song was? <laughs> yeah, it's I Want to Break Free by Queen. You can suck my tits. <laughs> um, that's uh, Money by Pink Floyd. Yes, yes. Yay. Yes, and it was, I thought to myself, oh, it's just, yeah, it, it kind of, I'm, I'm finding it a lot easier to play the bass than I ever did to play the guitar. It's just, yeah. it is strange. Yeah, I need to get mm. some flat wound strings, no, some flat wound strings as opposed to the round, wound, round wound string. Oh, flipping egg. Anyway, I need to get some new strings on it, which are flatter, and they won't give, some, give me so much uh, fret vibrate, because I've noticed that it is, but it just, it's amazing. It really is just the best thing I've ever bought in such a long time. And uh, cool. it's making me very happy indeed. I don't know, it's the whole thing of like learning a new instrument. And in some respects, I wish I would have done that at the beginning of um, COVID, you know, like two years ago. Oh, cause you know, it's two years, just over two years ago that I came into the shop that used to work in to say, hi Carl, how are you? We should do a podcast mm. together. That's right. That's right. So yes, yes, it's two years. Flipping X. That'd be the two second day. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, why are they after that? I, 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 I wish I'd hid out the back in the <laughs> stock room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you wish you'd have pretended who, who, who are you? I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, security <laughs> guard. <laughs> He's stolen some stuff. Get He's got this man off the premises. Exactly. But no, it's going to, so it'll be two years since the well. first show. Because if, if, somebody did want to go back and listen to the poor quality of our show and us kind of fumbling our way through. Yeah. There's some well, interesting you, stuff we talk about, I think, because we're catching poor, up. Poor, poor technical quality, interesting, you know, good good quality in terms of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Cause, I mean, it was just less, less technically polished. Yeah, well, the, the songs were better. This leads nicely, well, it doesn't lead into nicely to do anything, <laughs> but original or cover? Mm. So what's the score? What's the score? It's 15-14 to me. The the handsome one. I thought it was to me. No, you got the last one wrong. Oh. Can you not remember? The last remember the last one was um God flipping egg. You can't remember either. I can, I can. The song was no, you're right. I do. I do remember I'm on night. I'm on night. by Richard yeah, Hawley. I do remember getting it wrong. Because I yes. So yeah. All right. You you know what? You should listen to that fucking show, and then you'd know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well played, and this is well played. So this is Traveling Riverside Blues by Led Zeppelin.
My first question, as always, Travelling Riverside Blues by Led Zeppelin. Did you enjoy the song? Oh, it's a cracking, cracking song. Uh, you know, from a from a, a fantastic band that Led Zeppelin was, is, and um, yeah, love love this. It's got that a real bluesy Led Zeppelin vibe to it. Mm. It's from their Coda album. I think I sent you the link where it's got the original music video to it, which was one of those yes. ones where they pull it all all together. Not necessarily like a music video, but we would appreciate now with somebody miming to the camera. Incidentally, I mean, I maybe I should get more into uh, Led Zeppelin because of obviously John Paul Jones, the bassist, because mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew this, but he arranged all the string sections for REM's Automatic for the People. Do you, are you I didn't know that. Yeah, so he, yeah, if you, so he, all, the, all of those things there and, um, yeah, I remember MTV Unplugged when they had uh, Page and Plant and everyone was like, oh yeah, like Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin. But I've never been a massive Led Zeppelin fan. But I think from having the bass, then suddenly I'm gonna bit my head's gonna be turned to all of these different types of um, bands. Deeper again. appreciation for, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So what do you, what do you think then? So tell us, tell us about the, you know, what do you know about Led Zeppelin? What do you think about the song? Um, I mean, I've, I've listened to a few of their albums, not all of them, and generally, generally enjoy Led Zeppelin. It's a, it's, it's a I said it, it is a great song, and, and, and it's, it's got that real Led Zeppelin uh, sound to it, and it's a song that I, I only know from Led Zeppelin playing, and it, it is one of those that, that you know, as, as their they're kind of their hits, they're well-known songs. It's in that, it's in that group. It is very bluesy. It is very bluesy, and the 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 kind of the the, the video as well. I, I, I did get, you know, I did enjoy watching the, the video on on the link that you sent me, and the, there's all those images of the the, the workers and the, and the I don't know if they're necessarily um, slaves from from. Um, of the, the, the you know American history, mm. but it, it, you know f from the origins of, of blues, which is which is from Delta the, blues, the slaves. There's kind of yeah. things, yes, yeah. They say, yeah, yeah. So on on the ground that it is just so bluesy, and, and where it's potentially drawing that that from, I'm, I'm going to say this is a cover. You are correct. It is. Yes. It is a cover. It is a cover. And this is right, so this is where it becomes a little bit more interesting for our listeners. And maybe someone has picked up on this, I don't know. But at the start of the show, forget the Fight Club news story, I mentioned about the 27 Club, right? The mm -hmm. first song that we opened up with was Going Up the Country by Canned Heat. And a member of the band, I think it was, I don't know if the lead single or the bass, I can't remember, a member of the band died is a member of the 27 Club. Mm -hmm. Second song, Let a Woman Be a Woman, Let a Man Be a Man by Dyke and the Blazers. Again, the person died and he's 27. Then the next song, The Challenging, was by The Doors. Yeah. Jim Morrison, Jim Morrison. died and he's 27. Uh, Rob's Records, Voodoo Child, Slight Return, Jimi Hendrix died when he was 27. 
Then after the vending machines, Call Me by Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin, unfortunately, again, died when she was 27. Now, Travelling Riverside Blues was a cover, and it was a cover version by, or the original was by Robert Johnson. And if you remember yes. when I mentioned about the news story that he was the first person to be in the list of mm -hmm. 27. And there's the listeners just thinking these shows happened by coincidence. Wow. There we go. That was Travelling Riverside Blues, originally written by Robert Johnson. Very clever. Indeed, indeed. Was it the other day my wife texted me and she said, do you ever get shooting pains across your body like someone's got a voodoo doll of you and they're stabbing it? So I replied, no. And about 30 seconds later, I've got another text message from her saying, how about now? <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of the bubbly.